I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 121. We hope everyone had a safe and happy 4th of July weekend. And right before that, it was Canada Day. There you go. That's all I got. (laughs) And hopefully your pets survived, you know, the whole weekend because that's where the fireworks are. The whole weekend. I saw this hilarious meme. And it had a chihuahua, like, smoking a cigarette, like, saying that it survived. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was cracking up. Marley is not phased at all. Sometimes Bo will, like, look up, like, the hell was that? And he's like, meh. All right. No. And she gives me side eye when it's, like, bad weather outside. Like, when it's, like, thundering. Mm -hmm. I don't like those kind of storms. Like, when it's just, like, raining, whatever. But thunder, I'm like, ooh. Mostly because the lights are going to go out. And your girl... Is hot natured. But Marley will give me side eye, and I'm like, look, I know it doesn't bother you. You can go stand out in the rain, but it bothers me. You know what doesn't bother me? What? Patreoners! Uh, hell no, they don't bother me. I love how, like, every single week we find cheesier and cheesier ways to, like, segue in to mm-hmm. Patreon. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm here for it. I'm also here for Harleen A from Florida, Labria S from APOAE. Which is a military address because they are deployed. So thank you so much for your service. Definitely. Ellie J. from North Carolina. Jill M. from Indiana. Terry P. from Virginia. And Ashton S. from Texas. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. You have a shit ton of bonus episodes to catch up on. So we hope you love them. If you want all those bonus episodes or an episode shout out... Can I say episode one more time? Head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay. Also, I started watching this Netflix original series, and it could totally be like a Hallmark <laughs> series. And it's so cheesy and so predictable, but I freaking love it, and it's an amazing palate cleanser. So, uh, Sweet Magnolias on Netflix. It's got the girl from Drop Dead Diva. It's got the daughter from... Um, Reba, and the girl from uh, Breaking All the Rules, that movie with Jamie Foxx. Also, the guy who was the paramedic on Grey's Anatomy. That was with the red-headed girl. Yes, and they have... um, Chris Klein. Yes, and he is so old. He is so freaking old. Like, legitimately, I was like, no, he's supposed to be my age. You know, like, he was always in the movies, like, the Teeny Bopper movies when we were teens. Maybe five years older than us, I thought. How old is he? I don't fucking know, but he looks fucking old in that show. Well, if people are like you and they haven't watched it, but uh, I think most people watched it when it was on the top ten of Netflix, like, two months ago. Ah. But, okay, good one. No, it was good. I mean, and look, and by that I mean I've watched, like, three episodes, so... Y'all know me. I can't fucking keep up. My thing is, they walk everywhere. Mm. And it's like, yes, small town, but they up in hills. Mm -hmm. All the time. But the girl from Drop Dead Diva was in hills all the time in that, too. And I was like, how in the fuck? But she drove a car, at least. No, I know, but I'm saying, like, think about how long they're in those hills, like, for filming. Oh, yeah. I can't even wear hills for an hour and walk to my driveway and back. Oh, hell no. Also, I love their wardrobes. All of them. Mm-hmm. Well, and since she's talking about Netflix, something that 
all of us true crime fanatics are talking about is Unsolved Mysteries. And we have something in the works. Spoiler alert. You know I love to do that. Can't keep a secret. So we're talking about Facebook Lives, hashing it out, our opinions, your opinions, all the theories, all the good good, all the bad bad, and all the ugly. Yep. So stay tuned on Instagram, Facebook, all of that, and we'll post more information. Okay, enough business. Let's get into the stories. So this week, I had a story I wanted to do. I had seen it on An Evil Lives Here on Investigation Discovery before, and I was like, I freaking love this story. I love that show. Me too. And Obvi, we use the word love in a weird way, because Obvi, I don't love that people died, but it's just fascinating. Well, I love how they do it. They do it very well. Like, the editors and producers and everything. Even the, like, intro music, you're like, oh my god. Yeah. The more I did the research on the guy that that story is about... I found out another backstory that I was like, hold up, what? Okay, so we are going to talk about the White family. On Evil Lives Here, it's like season one, episode two, I think. The lady that's interviewed, her name's Danielle. She goes by D. She's talking about her brother, Richard Paul White. He goes by RP. And I'll tell you all about their story But I want to start with the rabbit hole that I went down that is their father. Alrighty. So his name is Randolph White, but he goes by Duke. Well, in 1988, Duke lived in Queso, New Mexico. And he had a friend that he hadn't heard from in about a week. And so he was like, "Mm, I probably should go check on him. So he gets there, and he notices that the grass has grown up, and the dog looks pretty skinny. Oh, no. Which, yes, is like, <laughs> well, the other thing he noticed was he smelled like this stench, like a like raw sewage in the air. Ugh. And he was like, mm, that's weird. So he went over to a neighbor's house and was like, hey, have you seen them? I haven't seen them in like a week. There's something weird happening over there we call the police and the neighbor refused to call the police what Uh uh-huh so he goes over to another neighbor's house and is like same thing something's weird happened over there can you call the police and they're like absolutely here's the phone so when the police get there he go he meets him at the house so he leaves the neighbor's house and he goes back to his friend's house and he notices that there's a screen that's been Looks like it's been broken into. And so he makes his way into the house. And again, he's noticing the smell. He sees this like kind of like orangey brownish like tackiness on the floor. Blood. Yes. And that's when he sees his friends, Keith Landwehrmeyer, who went by Egg. He was only 25. And Michael Riddle, who was 32. They had both been bludgeoned to death. Oh, oh, no. But, Duke, why did you go in? Well, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like, you called the police, like, wait for them. Because now you're you're trampling everywhere. Well, Egg was curled up kind of in the fetal position and was partially covered by a sleeping bag. And Michael was just laying face down in a pool of his own blood. The police found 
a truck parked outside the house and one of the tires had been slashed and there was a purple sock and a shoe on the ground beside the door. So the next part's pretty gruesome. So skip 15 seconds if you need to. But they had been, according to the medical examiner, dead for at least a week and maggots had already hatched on them and was like eating the flesh. Oh, God. The other thing that they had found in the house that was weird was that apparently Egg and Michael were pot farmers. They had 40 marijuana plants in the house that were all dead. The fluorescent light was still on. So they knew that whatever happened to them probably didn't have anything to do with them growing pot because, I mean, everything was still fine. I mean, other than the fact that they hadn't been watered and the light had been on for a week, obviously, so they died. But it's not like somebody had ransacked and, like, taken the plants or something. So Michael was living in the house where they were murdered. But it was actually his girlfriend's house. But she lived outside of Dallas. So she wasn't even there. And Michael was in the military. And when he was active duty, he was responsible for guarding nuclear missile silos in West Germany. So he's like one that's like very meticulous, very, you know, and again, it's said that he was a badass. So whoever like picked a fight with him, you better know what you're getting into kind of thing. Also, I want to note that some things said that they found 200 plants, but other things said they only found 40 plants. It's, it's small, but that's a big old difference. So they go to bring Duke in for questioning, and they go to the store where he and his wife, Constance, owned the store and were working. At first, she was like, yeah, I'll come in, give a statement, you know, no big deal. But when he drove up, because he wasn't there when the police got there, he was like, no, no, go inside. I got this. Like, if you have questions, you ask me. So the police were like, all right, and took him in for, for questioning. At first, he refused to give a statement, like a, a recorded statement. And then he was like, well, can I have an attorney? Because apparently, maybe he had some connection to the marijuana. And so, it's 1988. You know, he didn't want to get in trouble for it. So, again, he said, you can't tape an interview with me and I want an attorney. But then he goes, but I have to go talk to a tree and if you want to come listen, you can. Did he mean he had to pee? No, no, no. He actually wanted to go outside and talk to a tree. Oh, okay. So picture this guy just standing outside this tree. Started saying that Egg and Michael were selling pot. And they wouldn't let a lot of people around because they are very cautious. And Duke happened to be one of the people that they let around. Apparently, a few neighbors had been getting tired of them. Because they had been stealing some stuff around the neighborhood. And that Duke quoted saying that he told him, you don't start shit in your own backyard. And then he said to the tree, a.k.a. the police, that he hadn't been to the house in like two months. So they shouldn't find his fingerprints anywhere except for like the screen door where he tried to get in. But right as they were almost done talking to the tree, he made one more statement where he said that... The marijuana plants weren't worth anything because they weren't ready for harvest. So he didn't understand anyone killing for them. So police do a little more digging into Duke. And they find out that Duke had actually been in law enforcement in Colorado. And he was like, even a chief investigator in this county 
But he was forced to resign because he was accused of molesting a little girl. Oh, fuck you, Duke. Oh, yeah, we hate Duke. But with all of their investigating, the case went cold. Mm. And it is still cold to this day. Oh, my gosh. So here's a little more about old Duke that I thought was very interesting. Apparently, he was a representative of this religion called the Ghost Clan. It was kind of an offshoot of like a Native American church with like their traditional beliefs and things, as well as Christianity, sprinkled in with a little peyote. Nice. There was some sort of land dispute where he was like their representative and it just, I was like, he's part of a, a religion called the Ghost Clan. <laughs> so that is just one rabbit hole that I climbed into when I was looking up this story. Yeah. Okay, so now let's go to the real story. So Duke had some kids, and like we've already talked about, Danielle and Richard, who went by RP. They had another sibling named Maureen, and I'm in 90 eight percent sure there were two other sisters that we don't ever honestly only because i did a deep facebook dive i think one of their names is constance but that's only because i did a deep facebook dive in places i probably shouldn't have been okay so duke was not involved in his children's lives he had many girlfriends and was married many times and so was their mother like i don't even know their mother's name there's so little information on this story, it's absurd how little we know, especially about the victims. Which, it kind of pissed me off doing this story, honestly, because I was like, all of this is about the White family. And while it is about victims, because it's about his family and the ripple effects, it's there's so little information about RP's victims that it's maddening. Growing up, Danielle and RP were the closest of the siblings because they were only 18 months apart. So they were close in age and close in just relationship. So as with all the episodes of like Evil Lives Here, it you know, the families usually say like, I mean, there were there was weird shit, but I didn't really think it was that weird until it was like hindsight's 2020, you know? Yeah. So growing up, Richard was an odd duck. Like, his sister would be sleeping, and she'd wake up, and he'd be sitting there watching her sleep. And this is, like, eight-year-old. You know what I mean? Ooh, creepy. Yeah. And she would be like, the hell? You know? And he's like, what? And she's like, stop watching me. And he just sits there, so she leaves, and he stays kind of thing. I'm ad-libbing here. And on that episode, it showed a picture of them with a snowman, and... He's standing there, like, laughing, having a great time, and she's crying because the snowman basically has been decapitated and his head melted. And so she's, like, so upset, and he's like, ha-ha, you know? And I feel like that could go one of two ways. That could be, like, just like a brother being an asshole, or it could be like, no, he's he's has problems, you know? Yeah. Because, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, so you can find all of these things where you're like that's weird yeah well it's always easy to connect the dots when you know the pattern yeah well rp started getting more violent with age and as we know it tends to happen towards animals danielle had a parakeet that was 
her pride and joy. One day before school, RP is just like, hey, D, because that's what he called her. Hey, D, look, and snaps the fucking bird's neck. Oh, my gosh. Just right in front of her and feeds it to the cat. <gasps> and she's like, like, what the fuck? Why did you do that? Like, what the fuck did the bird do to you? Why did you do that? And he just says, mm, I wanted you to screw up on your final exam today. What the hell? Yes. He was also obsessed with the Bible, which to me isn't surprising. Like, it makes sense given his, I mean, again, I don't know how close his dad and he were when his dad was running the ghost clan and all of that. (laughs) But, I mean, it kind of fits the pattern. Again, when you know the pattern, well, he was obsessed with the more fire and brimstone, like, crazy, like, Old Testament God. You know, not the like, oh, be kind and love one another. He was more like, they looked at your sister wrong, stone them. Right. He had such a fear of like the devil and all of that, like getting into him, that he had an ACDC record, like actual record, that he loved. It was his pride and joy, listened to it over and over and over again. Well, someone told him that it was devil music. And so he immediately smashed it and was like, that's it. The devil was getting into my head through this music. Like, got to get rid of it. Another thing about RP was he was a pathological liar. He lied about things that were insignificant. He lied about things that were fucking huge. He one time told his family that he was HIV positive. What? And for a whole year, because this is, you know, you got to remember, this was in, yeah, at the earliest, the early 90s. Yeah. So we had just kind of started coming out of the AIDS epidemic. And I mean, people were still absolutely terrified of it and didn't understand it. And all they knew of it was that it was this long and horrific death whereas now i can't remember what that medicine is that it's on all the commercials they'll get your virus under such control you don't even show up on a test anymore it's like a totally different diagnosis now than it was then then it was a death sentence yeah so his family spent a year basically waiting on him to get sick and die wow so one day when he goes to visit danielle she's like hey how's it going on the medicine like how you doing And he's like, what medicine? And she's like, your HIV medicine. And he starts fucking cracking up. Oh my gosh, what an asshat. And he's like, oh, I never had HIV. That was a joke. Oh, real funny. Yeah, that's, you don't like, you don't joke about that kind of shit. No. As Danielle was growing older and making her own money, he would lie to her to get money from her too. So, one time he told her that a friend of his had just passed away, and basically he needed to get to the other side of Colorado to go to this funeral. Wow. So, she scrounges up some money for him to be able to attend this funeral, and he goes to the funeral, you know, does his thing, comes back. Two years later, she sees the guy shopping. Wow. He was never dead. He just wanted the money. And she probably went without to make Uh sure that he was able to go. Absolutely. He had a lot of girlfriends. He was a pathological liar and did weird shit. But, 
I mean, overall, he lived a relatively normal life. I mean, again, he would lie about shit that you're like, are you fucking kidding me? But he would also lie about crimes. Like, he would say, oh, my God, I just robbed the 7-Eleven yesterday and took blah, blah, blah money. And she's like, okay, if he really robbed that place, that would be on the news. Like, whether or not they knew it was him, it would be like, breaking news, the local 7-Eleven got $5,000 robbed from him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, as she got older, she just learned to not believe any of his stories and just kind of placate him and just be like, yeah, 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 cool, tell me more, okay, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. She said, especially, like, some nights she would come home from work and he would be over and he had been drinking while she was at work and then she would pop a top and they'd play cards together and hang out, but he had been drinking for a while, so he was pretty drunk. And he started telling her, again, all these different crimes he's committed, and he started telling her of these murders that he committed, and he would go into this all this detail, but again, the man lied about having HIV. He lies about everything. So again, she was like, cool, 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 tell me more. Okay. And he would tell these stories to literally anyone who would listen to him. He would tell them to Danielle, to his girlfriends, to bartenders, to neighbors, to probably me if I ever met him. Because people just like to spill their life stories to me. Because you forget him when you walk away. Touche. Well, one time, he had told one of his girlfriends, you know, all about these murders he had supposedly committed. And so, she goes to Danielle and she's like, is he for real? Like, is this something I need to be worried about? What the fuck is going on? And Danielle's like, no. He Look, he always telling tall tales, like, ignore him, go on about your business. Well, the next time she sees the girlfriend, the girlfriend literally runs into Danielle's house, grabs Danielle, and takes her into the bathroom with her and closes the door. And Danielle's like, what the fuck is going on? What are you doing? And then she hears RP, like, running into the house, screaming, like, if you want to end this, then I'm going to end it, like, losing his shit, like, bum, 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 coming out of that bathroom, I'm going to kill you, blah, blah, blah. So Danielle and the girlfriend hide in the bathroom for hours, just waiting on him to either just cool down, leave, something. And he's like, come out, come out, come out. So finally, Danielle's like, okay, okay. And she opens the bathroom door, and he's got a gun aimed straight at her head. And she's like, look, RP, you don't want to do this. You know, please, please don't do this. Think about my kids. And it's almost like he snaps out of it enough and turns the gun on himself and he's like you know if I can't have her I can't live and oh my god I can't believe all this yada 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 and she's like I know I like I knew in that moment he was going to kill himself so she said the only thing I could think to do was to bring up the kids and say look my kids are about to come home from school if they find you like this they'll never forget it they will never be able to move past this like please put the gun down and again he had this soft spot for her kids and so he was like okay so obviously things are never the same between them again so it's a couple of years before they talk again and in 2008 rp calls danielle and says i need your help she's like what what happened you know because she could hear his panic in the in the phone and he says look 
I need your help. I accidentally killed a man. And she's like, what? Um, do what? And he says that he and his friend, Jason Reichardt, were smoking pot, drinking, and he had just gotten a new gun, and he was cleaning it, and he was showing Jason how to clean the gun, and it went off. And he shot and killed Jason. And he tells Danielle, look, I need your help. I need you to get me some supplies, like food, camping gear, all of that stuff, and just let me lay low for a minute. It was an accident. Like, I just, I need your help. Just come get me and bring it to me. So she goes and picks him up and takes him like out to this wooded area where he wanted to go. And when they're out there, he's like, did you bring it all? And she's like, yes, here it is. And he's like, did you tell anybody? And she's like, no, I didn't tell a soul. And he's like, okay, you're going to come back, right? And she's like, yes. And he was like, you're going to bring me some more food. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to bring you some more food. I'm going to come back. And he's like, and you're not going to tell anybody, right? She's like, I have not told a soul. Like, literally no one knows I'm out here. Like, I have not told anybody. And yes, I will be back and I will bring you some food. And he said, okay. And as she turned to leave, she heard him cock his gun. And she was like, he doesn't believe me. He thinks I've told someone and they're going to know where he is. He's about to kill me. And so in that moment, again, did the only thing she needed to do. She said, okay, I'll be back tomorrow to bring you some more food. The kids will be home from school in a minute. Let me go, you know, let me go home so that they don't worry about where I am. And so again, it was that her kids kind of snapped him out of it and she was able to get away. She said that she has asked him over and over again about that moment. And he says that he stepped on a twig and it made that sound, which I can kind of see the sounds being similar, but she's like, I know he cocked his gun. Now, he's hiding in the woods, and she was protecting him until she saw a news article about Jason's death, and it said that Jason's death was a suicide. And she was like, his family must be in turmoil right now. And she said, I cannot let his parents think that he died by suicide when he didn't. She called the police after what I can only imagine is one of the worst internal struggles of your life. And she told him, look, my brother said that Jason's death was an accident. This is He was cleaning a gun. This is what happened. This is where he is. So the police go and find him and they arrest him. When he gets into the interrogation room, he tells it all. He says that, again, he was cleaning his gun, and it was new. He was showing Jason how to clean it, and it went off. So the police leave to, like, formally arrest him and all of that. So there's video footage of him in the interrogation room. And it's like when the police leave that you can tell that they, like, actually arrested him because then they go and he's wearing, like, a red jumpsuit. He's not talking to a tree, but he's talking to himself. And he starts saying some weird things about they've got to look under a tree, oddly enough. Just just some weird stuff. When the police get back in there, he's telling about Jason, but he doesn't stop there. He says that he's killed three other people. He tells police that they were all sex workers and that two of them are buried in his old backyard. What? Yes. 
So he tells police, you know, this whole story. And police go to his old house in Denver, and they're like, going to start digging shit up to find, see if they can find the bodies. So Danielle's at home at this point. She knows that her brother's been arrested. And then all of a sudden, she sees on TV breaking news. Police are digging in someone's backyard. And they've got helicopter footage of it. And she's like, oh, golly, the police are, you know, looking. And she's like, holy fuck, that's my brother's yard. Yeah. And she's like, holy fuck, they found a body. Well, about that time, her phone rings. And she says that, like, she's so disheveled, like, watching this on TV. They're finding a body. It's her brother's old backyard. And... She finally answers the phone, and she's like, what? And it was one of the detectives. And he said, Danielle, I just wanted to call you and tell you before you found out some other way. And she's like, find out some... I'm watching it on the fucking news right now. And she's like, I know, y'all found a body. And he was like, no, we found two. And she just, like, loses her shit, you know? Which, I mean, of course, who wouldn't? Yeah. Well, not only that, but he told her before, but he's... The boy who cries wolf. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, okay, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's just like, wow. Well, this is what we know. He said he would pick up sex workers, take them back to his house, and either just hold them at gunpoint or knock them unconscious. And then he would repeatedly rape them. Oh, no. Orally, vaginally, sometimes for over 24 hours. No. He would take breaks whenever, you know, he needed it. And when he was taking a break, he would force his victims to sit there and pray for forgiveness. Are you fucking kidding me? And sometimes he would pray with them because it would, like, absolve him from his sins, he thought. Oh, my gosh. But he was also very, like an asshole and would patronize the women because he would be like, didn't your mom teach you not to get into cars with strangers and all this stuff? And you know what he also would do? He would handcuff them to himself while he slept so that they couldn't get away. Wow. Well, we know though that at least three did get away. Good. As far as the victims that we do know, We know that Victoria Lynn Turpin, who was 32, and and Alicia Maria Gonzalez, who was 27, were the two bodies that were found in his backyard. Bless it. Well, because he confessed to them, they made a deal with him to avoid the death penalty for him to tell where the other bodies are. Well, he basically told police that two of them they would never find. Yes, it went from he killed... Three to now total five people, which would be six people, which would be like five women and Jason. But he said two would never be found because he threw them in a river. As part of his deal to avoid the death penalty, he led police to his dump site in a neighboring county. Police found the remains of Tori Marie Foster. And she's actually the only victim that I could find any information on. So, Tori was a sex worker as well, but she had more family engagement with her disappearance and 
the search for her body and her family firmly believed that that body was hers. They actually used her nine-year-old daughter's DNA to confirm that that was her body. Wow. And even searching for the victims, most of the pictures that I found of them were mugshots. Wow. You know, it just is... That's sad. And I don't know if it's because the victims were women of color, if it's because they were sex workers, a combination of it. But again, there was like nothing about this case as far as the victims. Yeah. Well, he was sentenced to two consecutive life terms in prison for the murders. And he was sentenced to an additional 144 years to life, which I'll be that's life. But anyway, for the assaults on the three women who survived. Mm. But you know what? I also could find nothing about the women who survived, except there was a, on this British channel called Crime Investigation, there was an episode about this case, but I could not find the actual episode. Yeah. But I found this like one snip of an impact statement from a victim who survived and she was in a prison jumpsuit. Wow. So I don't know. It just, this case has all to do with sex workers. And so it's just amazing and heartbreaking to see the lack of information. Mm -hmm. And also it talked about how many potential victims that there are that we have no idea about because if he had basically a dumping ground in another county that they would have never found her body had he not led them to her, who knows how many there are. One thing that Danielle talked about in the episode is that how much guilt that she had because he really tried to play her and be like, you know, I told you. I wanted you to stop me. That's why I told you all that. And she's like, so she has guilt about not listening and not turning him in. Not her fault. But then she has guilt about turning him in because she had so many family members that were so mad at her for turning him in. She had, so she just has all this guilt. And so she turned to alcohol as, I mean, people self-medicate and deal with emotions like that the best they can. Yeah. And then I found an article from the New York Times that had, it was talking about families of convicted killers. And it talked about his sister, Maureen, and how she watched her, like when she finally sat down and watched her brother's confession, how it was this brother who taught her how to ride a bike and protected her from their mother's abusive boyfriends and all of that and he's confessing to six murders you know and it's like so she started self-harm self-mutilation with the cutting i mean so bad that she would have to have stitches and staples and so it's just again it's that ripple effect that is often ignored because it's it's this culture this mentality that The perpetrator's family is guilty by association. Yeah, and they're not. From what I can find, for sure, 
Danielle is doing well because I'm telling y'all, I did a deep dive on her Facebook and she's got old pictures up. She's got new pictures up. She's got a grandbaby. You can see pictures of, this is why I said that I, I'm 98% sure he's got four sisters in him because of that picture. You know, it just was so crazy to see. There were some pictures on there that were on The Evil Lives Here. Oh, wow. And it was just like, wait, no, because I was like, is that her? Because she looked a little different. I was like, I think that's her. And then I saw the picture of him with like the Hulk glove on his hand. And I was like, this is fucking her. Oh, my God. I found her face, you know? Yeah. And so I'm like, I mean, not that it was that hard to find. It Google suggested it at the bottom. But it just was so crazy to see all these people like commenting like, uncles and family members saying like we miss you and all of that to rp and it's like hopefully she's kind of come out of that where her family is blaming her for it you know his capture but okay two more things i want to talk about there's a letter that rp wrote like in response to someone who had sent him a letter and we have a copy of it and i wanted to read you some excerpts of it because not long ago he did an interview with some Denver news thing where he was like crying and oh my god I'm so sorry and yada 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 but then there's this letter and he tells the girl you're very easy to look at whatever he says that his last girlfriend his quotes it was a stripper and he said I toyed with the idea of killing her but in the end all of my girlfriends were spared Although I did bury two dead prostitutes in my ex-girlfriend's backyard. Those are his words. We know it's sex workers. And then he says, I would love to have seen the look on her face, LOL, or the look on her snooty father's face for that matter. And then did like a, like a kind of devil, like a hee-hee face. And then he says, is that terrible? And then, because honestly, I don't care anymore, LOL. It's like, so like, don't pretend like... <laughs> Yeah. He talks about, look, and then he goes about Tori, about her death. He goes into some really gruesome details. And then I just want to show, too, like how manipulative he is. He's like, I miss driving, shooting, and I miss TV. You can have one in here, but I can't afford one. Uh-huh. And he's like, I draw and trade for stamps, deodorant and such. But I just think it's so... Like, I feel like that's such like a, mm -hmm. I can't afford one. Can you buy me one? Without saying, can you buy me oh, one? Oh, for sure. That's a little plug right there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the very last thing I have to say is Old Duke makes an appearance right here at the end because we got to make it full circle. Duke died in 2015. But before he died, he got in trouble because he broke the law because he was selling DVDs of RP's confession. What the fuck? Uh huh. Thirty nine ninety nine or thirty nine ninety five. One of those two. Thirty nine something and change. But he said the proceeds were going to go to the victims' families. But really, like seventy five percent, he had set up to go to his grandkids. But none of that matters because they have a law saying that you cannot profit from crimes in the state, whether you're family member, victim, anything, which is, okay, and I saw some Reddit posts that were like, that should be the case everywhere, and I'm like, okay, but then could we have ID? Could we have... Podcast. But, and could victims write books and yeah. all of that? So it's like, 
while I definitely, definitely agree that his motherfucking dad, especially a dad that had nothing to fucking do with him growing mm-hmm. up, should not be able to sell a DVD of his videotaped confession. P.S. It wasn't even the whole one. He was going to have a volume two oh of the rest gosh. of it. But what I really want to see is that motherfucker talking to a tree. <laughs> right. So that's it. That's the story of the White family. Wow. Well, now I have to follow that up. (laughs) We're going to Kansas, Dorothy. But do I get fancy red shoes? No. And you haven't even watched The Wizard of Oz, really. So... Yeah, I've watched it. I just have not watched it obsessively like you. Um, okay. The place in Kansas that I'm talking about is really small. And if you don't live in the state, you've probably never heard of it. And actually, you might have not even heard of it if you live in the state. It's called Stull, and it's close to the cities of Lawrence and Topeka. If you do know about it, you've probably heard about it in songs or TV shows like Supernatural, where the season five final, like, showdown, it was filmed in the cemetery, which we'll get to that location later. Also, in an interview in 2006, the creator of Supernatural said that he had the Winchesters, like, residing from Lawrence because it was close to Stoll. Well, you know, eventually I'll get there because Colby is making me fall asleep to Supernatural now because I've been putting it on Murder, She Wrote, and he is not a fan. (laughs) Supernatural is really good. And he tells me that I'm an old lady and I don't like it. Well... After you've been married for 10 years, you'll still be watching Supernatural because there's a lot of seasons. Picture it. 1857, the settlement was founded by Pennsylvania Dutch immigrants and originally called Deer Creek. Though local lore loves to say that it was originally called Skull. It's not a written down fact of where this name originated from, but most say that it was a translation of an indigenous location Or that merely someone saw a deer by a body of water and was like, one plus one equals Deer Creek. However, in 1899, the town was renamed after its first and only postmaster, Sylvester Stoll. And the people called him Vest Stoll, as noted in an article from the Jeffersonian Gazette in May of 1899. The article also said that for 40 years, the residents have been going 5 to 12 miles for their mail. So they just know that this post office that's being erected is going to be a great convenience for them. But womp womp, it only lasted until 1903. Shit. But the name of the town remained. Moving on, it's important to note that there were not a lot of residents in this town, just A few families, really. Super small, tight-knit kind of community. Humble beginnings, all the things. And some of those families came together to organize a church. They first met in each other's homes. But then in 1867, the Evangelical Emmanuel and Deer Creek Mission was built. That's a mouthful. Mm Mm-hmm. And then later the same year, a cemetery was built beside the church. As you normally do. 
Fast forward to 1922, the residents raised $20,000 to build a new church, and this one would be wooden framed because the original one was made of stone. They built it across the street and therefore abandoned the old church by the cemetery. Again, this is a small, quaint town, tiny town, but there was a time that they had big hopes of a big boom. There were talks of a railroad that would run through Stoll and, you know, therefore, booming economy. So everyone was getting excited. They started planning new buildings, maybe having a bank. But then none of that ever came to fruition because of the Great Depression. And that was just the tip of the iceberg of shitty luck, it seemed, for this town. Because also in the 20th century, there were two tragic losses in this tight-knit community. Oliver Bonmeyer, he was two and a half when he was burned to death in a fire. Oh my god. Yeah, what happened was that his father, George, had started burning the hayland around three in the afternoon, and then a strong wind blew from the south. Well, his two sons were with him, and the older one, who was five, he managed to save himself by climbing up on a rock, but Oliver wasn't so lucky, and some say it looked like he was transfixed on the flames, and that's why he hesitated, and that was his fatal mistake. Oh, God. Like, he knew any better. He was two and a half. Yeah. And at that point, it was like, you know, blazing, and so you can't run in and save him. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you're, you know, it's just, yeah. Then the second tragic incident was a man who was missing, and he was found hanging from a tree by the church. And this tree is believed to be a tree that they hanged witches from back in the day. And so it was just a weird thing, though. Like, he had gone missing, people were looking for him, and then he was found hanged. On this certain tree, you know, that had this, like, eeriness to it. But was there, and you may not know this, but was there anything around to, like, show that it was, like, I couldn't he find died any, by suicide? Yeah, I couldn't find anything about it. Like, I wonder if there was, like, a stool there or something where, right. like, you know? Yeah. Well, here's a little, like, creepy fact. Both of these events happened on what was known as Devil's Road back in the day, but it was renamed later on. So keep that in mind. In November of 1974, the University of Kansas student newspaper, the University Daily Kansan, had an article that shed light on the quote-unquote ghost town's past. The article's like big shocker. That would be on the cover of the Inquirer, you know, at the grocery store, was that the cemetery was one of the seven gates to hell and the devil himself would appear there in person twice a year. On two certain dates. On the spring equinox and on Halloween night. If you tell me that that's when those two tragedies happened? No, no. The article also stated that the church ruins in the cemetery was possessed by the devil. And with this article and everything kind of got brought up, you know, and people were talking about Stahl. And they said that when the residents built the new church and left the old one abandoned, that's when local covens of witches and occultists, etc., would use it to perform their rituals and whatnot. So they believe they, you know, welcomed evil into the church. 
Because I'm sure a town that fucking small had all these occultists that they didn't know about. Well, they're saying from neighboring towns Mm. would come in. It said that if you were to go into the church, get two bottles and arrange them in the formation of an inverted cross, it would be impossible to break them against the walls of the church. And then another story or legend says that... Even though the church was without a ceiling for a while, it never rained inside, even while it was raining outside. And there are multiple eyewitnesses to this occurrence. Also, one person said that he witnessed a cross turn slowly upside down at midnight in the church by itself on the wall. Nope, don't want that. Mm-mm. Unless I'm fucking Matilda and shit's moving and cleaning up for me, shit shouldn't be moving that it's not supposed to. Right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. There were two guys who were visiting the cemetery, and they heard, like, this really strong wind started blowing, but it kind of came out of nowhere. Like, it was complete stillness, and then, like, whoa, what's going on? The trees are moving, everything's going. Well, they ran back to their car... And they found that their car had been moved to the other side of the highway and now was facing the opposite direction. What? Yeah. And then there was another man who claimed to experience that same strange, powerful wind, but it was inside of the church where it knocked him to the floor and would not allow him to move. So it kind of like just gushed in, held him down, like paralyzed him. For just, you know, a minute or two. On trytoscare.me, they said that there's an anonymous letter that was written to them and it said, quote, The church wasn't always evil, but was overtaken by the Satanists who lived in nearby towns. They conjured up so much evil that they opened a portal to hell. When the still church stood there, stairs were located on the back wall near the right side. Most of the time, they were overgrown and hidden with thick grass. It took a bit of searching unless you knew where they were. These stairs were a direct gateway to hell and used by Lucifer to appear on Halloween night at midnight. If a person was to travel down these steps, even just a few, they would be trapped and forced to walk hours back up trying to return from the pits of hell. End quote. And let me add, I found other people saying the same thing, but they added that the person would feel like they're being dragged down the stairs by an unseen force. I am not trying to schlep up some stairs when it should only be like two and then it's taking me two hours. Right? Mm Mm-mm. That would so be my luck. Like, TikTok, girl, don't do it. I'm not going to do it. Girl, Mm. don't do it. I'm going to be like, I did it. Take two steps and be like, not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Five hours later, why am I still going? Like, how am I not back up? We wouldn't still be going after five hours. We just slid down that damn thing like an escalator. <laughs> True. I'd been like, well, never mind. Take me to my leader. <laughs> <laughs> the university newspaper continued to publish articles over the next four years about Stoll Cemetery and the town. One thing that I found was, you remember Oliver, that sweet soul who burned in the fire? Mm-hmm. There's a rumor if you step on its tombstone or, you know, do anything to disrespect it, that they would go, like, that person would go to hell. Oh, shit. Right? 
Well, one year in the article in the Daily Kansan in 1978, they urged people to go see for themselves. So over 150 people showed up to the cemetery to try to witness Satan, you know, coming and showing himself, but returned away just before midnight. By who? By police and everyone. Like police, local people, all the things. Then in 1980, an article appeared in the Kansas City Times that added further fuel to the rumors about the cemetery and the abandoned church. It also mentioned that the devil would appear in Stoll Cemetery on Halloween, but he would also appear at the same time somewhere else in India. How they know that? I have no idea. This is just the... Whoever wrote this article, this is what they think. But they took it a step further, and they said that the devil does appear, but he also allows people who died from violent deaths over that past year to come alive for like an hour at the witching hour and to, you know, just be able to roam the earth for an hour. I'd go straight to my... uh killer's house and torture him for an hour (laughs) right or her wait i feel attacked or them well in 1980 when that article was published over 500 people were there and they again stayed until almost midnight and then they were forced to leave this happened again in 88 and in 1989 i mean is it public property or is it private property I mean, it's private. Okay. Because I'm like, if it's public property, they can't say shit to them. But if it's private... No, it's private. Okay. Definitely. Another legend is that the devil visits Stull. Because it's like, why would he pick Stull, Kansas to be one of the seven gateways to hell? And why would he come on these two days? Like, it's a blip on the map. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what people are saying. But it's because this legend says it's personal to him. And that every Halloween, he allegedly visits the grave of a witch with whom he had a child. And the kid was severely deformed and didn't live long at all, like just a few days, and was buried also in the cemetery. And so was the woman who was a witch, allegedly. Okay? Okay. Now, their son is rumored to also, like, come alive on Halloween, but he takes the form of, I've seen different things, like, of a feline, like, cat-like something or a werewolf, but it's all been, like, fur-type creatures. Creatures. So, you're telling me the devil mm-hmm. himself mm-hmm. has feelings and misses his son and goes to see him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. The lady who who was the supposed witch, she's buried under a tombstone that reads Wittich, like W-I-T-T-I-C-H. And a lot of people say that's like an old dialect of witch. And remember that tree that I mentioned they hanged witches from by the church? And that man was found hanged in. Well, it's a tall pine tree and it had like this abnormal growth spurt. 
and it actually split through a tombstone that was pretty close to this Wittich tombstone, but it wasn't there. Like, it wasn't hers, but it's still just, like, it's been growing and growing for, like, a 100 years, and it's been, like, you know, a slow and steady one, and then it just, like, woo, like, grew really fast and, like, ruptured this tombstone that's pretty close to this grave of a witch. Allegedly. Allegedly. I wonder if that's Pennsylvania Dutch, Wittich. Mm. Well, the tree was cut down in 1998 to stop people from climbing on it and, you know, the city being held liable, all the things. But it's private property. Yes. So why would the city be liable for a tree on private property? Well, if they were, I don't know. I mean, I'm no attorney, but I play a mean one on the podcast. I played the fifth. There was also this little story in one of the articles later about that Stoll was so intertwined with Satan and evil that the Pope wouldn't even fly over it because it was, quote-unquote, unholy ground during a trip to Colorado in the 1990s. So he had the flight path redirected. However, there's no definite evidence that this occurred, so we don't know. Now, people who have braved midnight trips to the cemetery have experienced some stuff. A lot of people have experienced lapses in time or missing time. They found that, you know, they literally have been there for several hours due to, you know, the time on their watch. Like, hey, got here at 2 and now it's 8. But all they can remember is a couple of minutes or maybe an hour. And this is around the time that people started talking about how the town started off being called Skull, but then they basically changed it to Stoll to rid all of its black arts, history, and lore. But again, we know the reason it was changed to Stoll. That poor postmaster is probably like, what the hell? Right? <laughs> In 1999, on Halloween, a local TV news channel showed up and they wanted to document that all the rumors were false. Proved to everyone that the devil does not appear at midnight, but at 11.30, they were forced to leave by the owner. So it's like they let them stay super close and then off you go. So this just perpetuated the rumors People were like, if they weren't hiding something, why didn't they just let them stay and film it and let everyone see that it wasn't real? That way, it's like, oh, okay. Like, Mm -hmm. the devil didn't show up at midnight. Okay, cool. We won't go. You know, or at least half of the people would be like, yeah, I'm not going to go next time. You know, but then when you are like, nope, 30 minutes, got to go. It's like, but why then? Like, yeah, why didn't they just send them away to begin with and say, private property, leave? You know, right. I feel like that could have even created just as much mystery, though, being like, nobody's allowed on the property and mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. On March 29th, 2002, something really bizarre, your favorite word, occurred. The old stone church in the cemetery was mysteriously demolished. The owner of the property, a man named Major Weiss, said he did not authorize the abandoned church to be destroyed. People who lived nearby did not hear any sound nor see any sign of the demolition, although 
some of the church was now like collapsed some, you know, like it was in disrepair and all Mm -hmm. of that. However, it was still a structure that was there one day and gone the next. Vanished like a fart in the wind. But I mean, the owner said, no, I didn't authorize this. No one heard a stone thing being demolished. And it's a small community. So it's not like they could just get in, do all of this, and leave before anyone noticed. Was, like, every stone gone? Or was it, like, oh, it just, like, imploded kind of thing? Yeah, like, all of it besides, like, the very bottom of it that's, that's like, in the ground. I think they just left that. It's, like, little But everything else is gone. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So then there's some stories from some famous people. And there are a lot, but I focused on three. First up, my boo, Greg Newkirk from WeekendWeird.com and the Traveling Paranormal Mm -hmm. Museum. You know, the one I always cover all their artifacts. Him. (laughs) Well, he went to the cemetery and he said that it wasn't all that in a bag of chips in real life. You know, because, I mean, you're thinking... A gateway to hell. Mm-hmm. Like, holy shit. But then you get there and it's like, this is a rinky-dink cemetery. It's got a chain-link fence around it, littered with no trespassing signs, all of that. You know, it's just like, what? Like, oh, this is it? But within minutes of him entering the gates, he noticed dozens of little flames forming in small little rings in each little corner of the graveyard. And there were no, like, big burn piles that, like, oh, okay, well, I see that big pile of leaves. Okay, this must have been a pile of leaves, too. Like, all of that, no. There were no visitors to have, like, someone might have thrown a cigarette and it, Mm -hmm. you know, lit a fire or whatever. Nothing. It was a cool spring day. So it wasn't like, oh, my God, it got so hot You know, all of, you know, it was really dry, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that. No one was around, so it wasn't a controlled burn. And he got this on video. So you can see, it looks like, you know, when, I don't know if y'all people do it where y'all live, but down here, some people burn their grass. Makes it grow greener and stuff I don't understand. But it looked like how that looks, but just in like small little rings of it randomly. Yeah. And then there was a time where Ariana Grande was being interviewed by Complex Magazine, and they asked her if she believed in aliens and ghosts. And she said, of course, we'd be so stupid if we believe we're the only people here. Well, then they followed up by asking if she had ever seen an alien, and she said that she never had encountered an alien But she did have an experience with a ghost slash maybe demon. She recounted that her and her team were in Kansas City a few weeks before this interview took place, and they went to a haunted castle. The next night, they wanted to go to Stoll Cemetery. So they get there, and then suddenly Ariana is overcome with the negative feels, was very anxious, and everyone in the car, including Ariana, smelled sulfur and she knew like this is a telltale sign of a demon and then there was like a fly randomly in the car 
which is also a sign, can be a sign of a demonic presence. So she's like, this is scary. Let's leave. But before they left, she rolled down the window and apologized and said they didn't mean to disrupt any peace. Then she snapped a quick picture. And in that picture, she said that you could see three faces and they were textbook demon faces. And I'm guessing, I don't know, but they're like, you know, not like bam, bam, bam. It's more like, wait, 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 do you see Mm -hmm. that? You know, that kind of thing. Well, of course, the interviewer is like, let me see the picture. And she said that she deleted it. Surprise, surprise. But the reason she deleted it is that the next day, she tried to send it to Scooter Braun, her manager. And it said that this file cannot be sent because it was too large. And it was 666 megabytes. She said that she used to have a folder on her desktop that she had pictures of weird stuff like that in it. But when weird stuff started happening, she deleted everything. So they pressed her about what weird things. And she said that she was going to sleep about two weeks ago. So not long after she returned from Stoll. And she said that she had just gotten off the phone. And as soon as she got off the phone, she heard a rumble that was really loud right by her head. It immediately stopped the moment she opened her eyes. But then when she closed her eyes, it started again, but this time it was whispers. Then she started to see red shapes that were distorted and turned into disturbing images. So she called someone and she was like, I'm really scared. I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do? And then she, quote, scooched over to the left side of her bed because She got the best service there, and she was not taking any chances of being left alone in her eerie time of need. And at that moment is when she saw this massive black matter was laying next to her. And so she started crying, you know, again, what do I do? What do I do? So the person on the phone's like, tell it to fuck off. And she's like, I'm not going to upset it. And I wish she would have been like, I'm not Zach Bagans. Hello. Right. So she was like, you know what? I'm just going to chill, not let it feed off of my fear because I know that's what it wants. And then she saw it move in front of her bed. And so she's like, nope, mm -mm, not going to freak out, not going to freak out. And that is the last thing she remembers because she fell asleep. Yeah, like she just remembers waking up and nothing was there. However... The next night, her friend Tyler was staying with her, and Tyler told Ariana that when she was trying to fall asleep, her body felt kind of paralyzed, and then she was describing the same exact thing that Ariana had seen the night before. Hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. Also, with the 666 thing, with the megabytes, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, hmm, is that true? Because it's like so like pretty in a package, you know? Right. However, like Topeka, Kansas, which again is pretty close to Stoll, their zip code begins with 666 as well. So it's just, again, one of those weird things that Stoll is kind of like the hub in all of these communities that begin with like 666. Hmm. And the last famous person is Kurt Cobain. And he wanted to visit it when they were doing a show in Lawrence. 
So he wanted to go and test out a bottle theory. Similar to the one where you make the inverted cross with the bottles, this one, people said, if you threw a bottle that you drew an inverted cross on and it, it, like, it wouldn't break against the wall. But if it did break, it meant that you were going to die soon. So he wanted to go do it. Some people say that it did break and then like he died the next year. I'm not sure. I couldn't find anything where he said it broke. So I don't know. But he was quoted saying, we went there one night and I swear to God, there is some kind of scary stuff going on there. I just remember walking toward it, it being the church, and it just seemed to be getting further and further away. And it was really pitch black. It just really wasn't normal at all. And we felt this weird presence, this weird evil presence. We just ran back to the van. So if you want to visit Stoll, be careful, not only of the ghost, allegedly, but of the police, the locals, because there's strict curfews and you can get fined if you're found in the cemetery and stuff. Today, Stoll only has a few buildings that even remain and hardly any residents, like 20 but they are very protective over their town. Or are they protective over their town's secrets? Like, what are they hiding? And will we ever know? I mean, you think they'd want to monetize it. You yeah, know? yeah. If people are doing that, hell yeah. Like, make it a tourist thing. But, like, when I was looking on websites, a lot of people said, like, they don't let teams in. They don't let right. anyone in. But how did your guy from the thing get to go? He went he went by himself. Just was lucky enough to go during the day. And he made it without being shot at. Because a lot of people have been shot at. Where I mean, it's just like shot in the air. You know, like kind of like running the kids off. Mm-hmm. Doing whatever. But yeah. Shit, they are serious. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like he wasn't invited to go... He just was close to it and was like, oh, I get to go to Stoll. Like, I want to do that. I'm super close. I need to go. Yeah. I want to know, like, who owns that land now and, like, what happens when that person passes away? Like, is it going to be, do they have family members that it's going to go to? Like, would they sell, you know, so who knows in however many years how much the story will change. Yeah. Well, the guy who owns it, the Weiss guy, mm-hmm. he has some partners, I think, that are with him. So it's like in company or, you know, kind of thing. And I think it's two people, but they're kind of like silent partners. He is the face of it. So, you know, I'm sure it's all in their contract. But that just seems very aggressive for mm-hmm. a very small town. Yeah. And also it's like... Okay, so it's kind of desolate. You know, it never got off the ground or anything like that. But it's like they want to keep it that way. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, they don't want to monetize it. They don't want to do, you know, anything. Because if it's that small, you could go all out for Halloween. But they don't want to. Right. Because they don't want people there. But it's like, why? They got secrets, that's for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. So did your guy. Well, he fucking told everybody. Nobody believed him. (laughs) 
Because he told so many freaking lies his whole life. His whole freaking life. Well, like you said, he literally, he's the boy who cried wolf. Well, not literally, because he didn't say about a wolf, but you get the point. Well, there's some conspiracy shit happening with your shit. So y'all tell us what you think. Yes, and have you ever been there? What are they hiding? (laughs) What are they hiding? I was going to say something cheesy about skeletons in their closet. Oh my gosh. You stole my line, basically. Right. But, you know, we can still remember... Keep it real and And don't don't get scared. scared.